You are Locked On Hawkeyes, your daily podcast on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Hawkeye Nation, to a Thursday morning episode of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast, your daily podcast covering your Iowa Hawkeyes on the Locked On Sports Network. As always, I am your host, Andrew Wade. Excited to be back for another show today. And it is Thursday, which means we have crossover Thursday. We have Asher Lowe, host of Locked On Badgers, joining us today to break down Saturday's game between Iowa and Wisconsin. What a fantastic rivalry game. This is going to be a fantastic game on Saturday that I'm really excited for. So we're going to get to that in a second. Real quick, I know the women's basketball team is taking on or took on Iowa State last night. I actually am recording this during the game. Uh, during you know during halftime, so not able to really give you a final score here, but we'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. Also, the men's basketball team takes on Iowa State tomorrow night as well, so we're going to be breaking that down on tomorrow's show, so make sure you tune in for that. If you haven't already, make sure you have subscribed to the Lockdown Hawkeyes podcast wherever you download podcast at. That being said, let's hop into our show with Asher Lowe, breaking down this upcoming Iowa-Wisconsin game. We're also going to touch a little bit on basketball, too, but that'll be later on in the show. So let's get to it right now. All right, it is Crossover Thursday. Uh, might be Crossover Tuesday. I don't know when Asher is actually dropping this, but I am host of Locked On Hawkeyes, Andrew Wade. I'm joined by Asher Lowe, host of Locked On Badgers. Asher, it is awesome to have you on the show. I think last time we talked, we had Papa Ben, and he was facilitating our conversation. We don't have Papa Ben, so the chains are off. Let's, let's roll, man. Yeah, no Papa Ben, and I think I am going to do Tuesday, so it'll probably be crossover Tuesday. But if you're, if you're listening to this on Lockdown Badgers and I didn't post it on Tuesday, I'm sorry. It's just, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, I probably should have thought about that before I actually did the intro there. wasn't really prepared for that. But we do have a big football game coming up, Iowa versus Wisconsin. And we talked about it a little bit before the show, but we're in an interesting position where I always respect Wisconsin's football team. I, it used to be hate. I lived in Madison for four years. I got so sick of hearing about the Badgers. But once I moved away, I realized I actually really respect what Wisconsin does year in and year out. And it seems like at least this year, you respect what Iowa's doing. So we're an interesting battle. I'll talk about two teams that we actually do respect. So this could be a pretty uh, pretty thoughtful conversation. And then when we get to basketball uh, in the future weeks, it's going to be pretty heated, I think. Yeah, I started – I've watched a lot of Iowa this year. And I that week one game against Purdue, I – that was one of the one of the weirdest losses I've seen in all of college football, around college football. Like I like Iowa dominated that football game basically in every single facet, and they just put the ball on the ground a couple of times, and that can change a game. I'm a UCLA fan, and watching last night UCLA Arizona State to give an example of that. Arizona State has all the momentum. They have a first and goal point to five, and they just botch snap, boom. And like like that kind of thing can just change a college football game so fast. It did against Purdue in week one. That Northwestern game was honestly a similar story. I felt like Iowa was the better football team. They were up 17-0 uh, in that game at one point. And then and then they, you know, then the results started that up as as they should, based on the first two weeks of play. They were just they were the best 0-2 football team in the country yep. uh, after two weeks. And then uh you're sitting right now at five and two with a team that, in all honesty, by the way, you've played every game, so that's that's impressive outright <laughs> right there. Uh, but you're a team that could easily be six and one, if not seven or no, we'd be talking about a whole different thing with Iowa football. So I, I actually think you guys have been probably, probably the second best team in this conference when, when it's all said and done overall. I, yes. Indiana has been really, really solid, but it's like I, no respect for Indiana. I, I actually <laughs> think if you put you guys on a, on a neutral field, I'd take Iowa minus three, or, or I think you guys would have a couple points, uh, lay a couple points there. So 
I think you guys have been the second best team, maybe third best team in the conference. And at four and two, you're not going to, or five and two, you're not going to get the respect you deserve, but should be six and one, could be even be seven or no. Yeah. I mean, it's really frustrating when I projected out this season, I projected at five and three, I didn't project the losses that we had. I projected losses to potentially Minnesota, potentially Penn state, those two teams kind of faltered, but no matter what, I did think that the big 10 ran through Wisconsin this year. I felt like the last game of the season, Iowa versus Wisconsin was going to be a huge matchup and Wisconsin has been hit pretty hard by a number of circumstances. Uh, They started off strong. And then they had to take a three-week break due to coronavirus. And since then, been faltering a little bit. And Graham Mertz, uh, you know, that first week against Illinois, I lost a lot of money betting on Illinois to cover that game. Just thinking Wisconsin wasn't going to put up that many points that quickly. Um, But since then, Graham Mertz has kind of fallen off a little bit. I looked at the Wisconsin stats, though, and overall, it seems like a pretty – a pretty similar Wisconsin team to what we've seen in the past, just not getting the wins the last two weeks uh, against Northwestern and Indiana. Those are tough. Those are two tough. Well, I thought Wisconsin would be undefeated coming into this game to be completely honest, man. So there have been just weird things going on, obviously. And I'm not going to make, you know, all excuses. There are some excuses that are just completely valid, right? Against Northwestern, missing your top two senior receivers, Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, that sets up Graham Mertz, a guy who's starting his third collegiate game, for a disaster. And it was disaster that entire first half. And a lot of that was on him, regardless of who was on the field. Four first half turnovers. I don't care if I'm on the field. Four first half turnovers is not not acceptable. It's not acceptable no matter who's on the field, who's calling the plays, who you're playing. It doesn't really matter. Four first half turnovers is not getting the job done in college football. No way, no how. And then this week, I mean, no Danny Davis again. Uh, You have an offense that just just can't find themselves. And, and you also had Indiana, by the way. They talked about this in the postgame presser, but Indiana was calling out some of Wisconsin's signals. So Graham Mertz was actually running. I don't know if you watched any of the game, but Graham Mertz, you could see him running all the way to the sideline to get the call from a coach like verbally, like uh, going up to him so he could tell him in his ear what the call was and then running all the way back. And it just like, it was totally out of sorts. A five-minute drill at the end of that game with three timeouts was about, I said, the max amount of time you give this Wisconsin offense to score quick or in some miraculous play. With five minutes and three timeouts at the end of the game, they still were, like, battling the clock up against it at the end because of how slow this all was developing since Indiana was calling out their 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 reads and, and Mertz was running all the way to the sideline. It was just a total mess, no flow at all. And, yeah, the stoppages have been ridiculous, right? I mean, we've we've – had more weeks where they've been canceled than we've actually played right now. And I, it's 2020. It's weird. And now Indiana, you have Indiana's main beat writer, the Indy star tribune, whatever it was calling Indiana a better program than Wisconsin. I don't know if that's, uh, if that's fair. I saw that this morning. Um, I actually know it's not fair. (laughs) I actually know it's not fair. Uh, But point being, there've been a lot of weird things going on for Wisconsin. And yeah, the stats have been strange. If you just look at box scores, right over 120 total yards more than Indiana, uh, more passing yards, almost double rushing yards uh, for Wisconsin yesterday. Time of possession, they beat uh, Northwestern badly in time of possession. They beat Indiana badly in time of possession. All Wisconsin stats that you normally see line up year after year after year. The difference, losing the turnover battle back-to-back weeks. Another difference, penalties, penalties, penalties. That's something you don't normally see from a Wisconsin team. They were hit eight times for 81 penalty yards yesterday indiana just a single penalty for 15 yards so penalties and turnovers can lose you games no matter how well you play 
Yeah, there's the, I'm glad you pointed out those stats because there's two other ones I thought were really interesting. I looked, you know, at the kind of the macro stats, we don't tell the whole story, but give you a little bit of a picture. Um, rushing yard defense, Wisconsin's six in the nation in stopping rushing attacks. That's impressive. Um, Barry, Wisconsin, like Iowa's 23rd. Um, I, passing yards wise about typically pretty similar for Wisconsin all around. But the one thing that was really different was the rushing yards per attempt where Wisconsin has dropped a full yard per attempt from last year to this year. How much of that impact of Jonathan Taylor being gone? I know Jalen Berger's definitely come on and that scares the hell out of me. I'm, I'm scared of having another New Jersey kid in there and seeing him for the next three years, dominate Iowa. Possibly. I don't want this to be his breakout game. Right. But how much of missing Jonathan Taylor has been an impact on this, this offense? Cause you no longer can just rely on a dominant, rushing attack to um, assist Graham Mertz as much as you would have in the past couple years. All right, I need to quickly pause that conversation with Asher because I have a very important message for you. I'm recording this on Wednesday night. I am exhausted. I had a long work day. I uh, started at 5 a.m. my time going all the way till now. I'm now recording the podcast because this is what I love to do. And sometimes, though, I'm just constantly going. I just need to take a second and chill. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're just, you have so many things on your plate, you're constantly go, go, going? Well, maybe you need to take a second and chill as well. Sit on the couch, watch an Iowa basketball game, and grab yourself the only beer out there that is actually made to chill. And that's Coors Light. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Believe me, I would know. I'm out here in Colorado, and there is nothing better than grabbing an ice cold, crisp, and refreshing Coors Light after a long day of work while watching my favorite team play basketball or football or wrestle whatever it may be I love watching Iowa athletics and I love drinking an ice cold Coors Light with with that as well after a long day of work Coors Light though is the one I choose when I need to unwind so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that is made to chill get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com that's right you can actually have it delivered straight to your door how awesome is that just go to get.coorslight.com as always folks remember to celebrate responsibly this message is brought to you by Coors Brewing Company Golden Colorado and just a reminder that on tomorrow's show, we're going to be breaking down the Iowa-Iowa State basketball game, also touching a little bit more on Iowa-Wisconsin, and even giving you a brief preview of the Northern Illinois basketball game and all that's coming up in the Iowa Hawkeye athletic schedule. So that's all going to be broken down on tomorrow's show, so make sure to tune into that. Also, after what should be an Iowa win over Wisconsin Saturday, we will be recording with Matt Vandenberg as well with our final regular season segment of Monday Mornings with Matt, so make sure to check that out as well. Let's hop back into that conversation with Asher we continue our discussion about Iowa and Wisconsin. It's significant, no doubt. But Jalen Berger, like you said, yesterday was impressive against Northwestern, was impressive over five yards of carry, nearly or five, yeah, five yards of carry, almost six yards of carry yesterday on just 15 touches. If anything, he should touch the football more. Didn't catch mm-hmm. a pass. So that those 15 touches are his only 15 touches of the game. And you're spreading it out to guys like Groshek, Stocky, Nakia Watson, who, you know, should they get? the bulk of the, or should they get carries alongside Jalen Berger when Jalen Berger's running like that? Maybe he should get 25 touches. I don't know, but it's been the passing game really. I mean, loss of Jonathan Taylor is huge, no doubt, because Jalen Berger's not Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. I don't even think most guys that come into this program, no matter how good you are, can get to that level, right? Most guys in college football will never get to a Jonathan Taylor like level. That's just a ridiculous standard to set. And especially with him coming on in the passing game, we really had a receiving threat in him too last year. Uh, that we don't have from any of the backs uh, besides Garrett Groshek a little bit. Uh, but even then it's been more running the football for him than being important in the passing game as an outlet for a Graham Mertz this year. But the passing game has been, I mean, unimaginative, right? 
the running game as well, no misdirections, no, no jet sweeps, none of that stuff we saw in the first two weeks. There's nothing to move your eyes from where the ball is going, right? It's just either direct inside handoff or Graham Burt's making one read, locking in on that read before the snap. I mean, it literally feels like, and I'm not sure whose fault this is. I said this on Twitter. I don't think I know enough about the position, like the depth of quarterbacking in college football to say that's his fault, that's his fault, that's his fault on that particular play every single time. But Graham Mertz looks like he has made his mind up every single time he's about to throw the ball before he gets the snap. He absolutely looks like he knows where he's going before the play develops at all. And that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, as I hear you talk about this, all I can think about is, man, these programs have been so similar over the last 25, 30 years. Wisconsin built their program based off of Iowa. I mean, Bear Alvarez, a uh, former Iowa guy, built the program based off Iowa. And even now, these programs are, I would say, mirror images of each other to an extent, right? You focus on solid defense. You run the ball well. You set up play action, do that kind of thing. And we come into this year – and we have two young quarterbacks, Graham Mertz, one year younger than Spencer Petras. But you talk about locking in on receivers and locking in on reads. It has felt like that at times for Spencer Petras as well. I have a question about Jack Cone, but before I get into that, you talk about the passing game being unimaginative. And I actually thought saw an interesting stat. And your two losses, 42 throws against Northwestern, 40 rushes. Against Indiana, 34 throws and 35 rushes. Um you only topped 34 passes three times last year, and you were one and two in those games. In 2018, there were no games with more than 34 passes. So that is something you typically don't see from Wisconsin. We've seen Spencer Petras chuck the ball 50 times this year. Um, is is that a product of playing from behind, or is that not a trusting your running game, or is that bad play calling? What what is what is going on there? Because Wisconsin shouldn't be throwing the ball 42 freaking times. I don't care what type of game you're in. I think it's a few things. So first of all, obviously we've been playing from behind, like you said, the last two weeks, both games, we started behind early. We never had a lead. Uh, we were playing from behind the entire way, barring a couple minutes against Northwestern where it was seven all, but most of the time, the last two weeks, we've been behind by a score, even two scores sometimes in that Northwestern game. And in this Indiana game, we were down 14, three for most of the third quarter. Then you have the loss of Jonathan Taylor, like you said, right? we can't rely on a Jonathan Taylor like we have been able to over the last few years. And Jalen Berger's getting into that role right now, but this is really only his third week in the mix of his entire collegiate career. He didn't play week one, even against Michigan in that second game of the year. He wasn't the focal point of the offense. He came on late in that game, had his first collegiate touchdown, but he wasn't the guy yet. And he's still not the guy yet. Right. But he's going to be RB one for the future. Like you said, you're scared about, well, it's happening for sure. I can guarantee that <laughs> yeah. based on the last few weeks of Wisconsin football. And then obviously as well, it's, it, it's weird play calling, but it's also the fact that we've had so many receivers out makes that even stranger, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it is, it is strange play calling on first, second down. Also, another thing I noticed is that whenever the running game gets going and this happened yesterday a lot, when Jalen Berger had his two biggest runs of the game, 19 yard run, 20 yard run, they were immediately followed by three straight passes where Wisconsin basically moved backwards and the drives stalled both times. Jalen Berger immediately went to the sidelines, which I get if you're going to pass because he hasn't been in and pass blocking downs at all, which that's fine. But why are you passing uh, after a 20 yard Jalen Berger run? He's in rhythm. And I really do feel like running the football kind of like shooting the three uh, in basketball is a bit of a rhythm thing. Sometimes with running backs that like they get into uh, that mode where they're seeing things uh, throughout a game there. 
uh, and they, they can go cold as well. Like they can just uh, kind of stop seeing holes, stop uh, bouncing things outside when they should and not, not seeing the game as well uh, when, when they aren't running the ball well. But when Jalen Berger had those big runs, he just sat on the sidelines and that, that was hard to see. And that's not something you normally see from Wisconsin football ever. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, that is something that concerns me, right? If they get that running game going, in the past couple years, Iowa has had one of the best rushing defenses in the nation, and it doesn't matter. Jonathan Taylor still got his against Iowa, regardless of how good Iowa's rushing defense is. Jalen Berger, I also noticed only 15 rushing attempts the last two games. He was doing well. Ride him if you need to. Uh, I understand being a young guy. I think the pass blocking obviously is a concern when he, when they're passing downs. Basically, the defense knows that if Jalen Berger is in there, they're probably not going to be doing any sort of pass play where he's going to actually be blocking. I think that is a, a, a easy giveaway. But I did want to get to Jack Cohn because he's back at practice. He was going to be your starter coming into the season. And at this point, we're four games into Wisconsin season. We're seven games into Iowa season. Um, I have seen... 95% of the tweets that go about Spencer Petras say we should be starting Alex Padilla or giving, you know, giving our backups some time. Um, what is this, the thought in Wisconsin nation? Is it Jack Cohn? Is it Graham Merch? Who gives you the best chance to win these games? I'll be honest. I think that Graham Merch should start this game against Iowa. And here's why it's not necessarily because I think he hundred percent gives Wisconsin the best chance to win on Saturday, but it's clear Graham Merch is the future. Graham Merch is going to be the guy for the next three years, no matter what. I'm not sure if Jack Cohn will be with this program next year, if you want me to be brutally honest. And that's just because I think he deserves to start at a Power 5 program, at a good Power 5 program next year. Uh, we've heard different rumors about him going to a, a different Big Ten team. We'll see, right? I think that Jack Cohn deserves to start for a good Power 5 team, but we've made it very clear. Graham Mertz is going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy next year, the year after that. Maybe even the year after that, maybe even the year after that because of eligibility. He could be the guy for the next four years, not even counting this year. So Graham Mertz is the future. Any experience and all experience you can get him, especially in a game where, let's be brutally honest, the result doesn't matter okay. a ton for the future of Wisconsin football. doesn't matter a ton for the future of Iowa football. Will we care about the game? 100 million percent. The result matters to fans probably more than anybody, honestly. Uh, but the coaching staff will definitely want to get their guy more and more reps because you know how valuable reps are in college football to throw this back to you and to start this Iowa talk, Spencer Petrus. <laughs> what in the world? I don't, I don't even know how to start the question. Who is he? Yeah, we can, uh, we can just say Spencer Petrus and, and go from there. Um, the wait is almost over. The 2020-2021 NBA season is almost here, and the Locked On NBA podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning December 14th. Get previews of every single team, division by division, from all 30 of our Locked On local experts, including us. Plus, waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on each division from rejecting the screen. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcast at. And with that, let's get back to our third and final segment of the Locked On Hawkeye podcast and our crossover episode with Asher Lowe, host of Locked on Badgers. I've been trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. We're seven games into the season. You know, you talk about not having a spring practice. He wasn't getting a lot of reps under Nate Stanley. Uh, but then I always have this, you know, I have this devil and this angel on my shoulder saying, yeah, he doesn't have the experience. He hasn't had that opportunity. And then I look at Brock Purdy at Iowa State playing as a true freshman and doing well and leading Iowa State to wins, being a part of the wins, not being 
despite not not Spencer Petrus in despite of the wins, right? Like I, I feel like Iowa truly has won these games almost in spite of Spencer Petrus. It has not been because of him. Now, yesterday was interesting because typically he started off the game strong. Brian Ferentz has done a good job of scripting plays to get him the ball out early, get it out quick, and then he's he's pretty bad from there. <laughs> yesterday he or, we're recording this on Sunday, but on Saturday he was atrocious in the first 15 plays and not just him the entire offense uh illinois was loading the box uh the receivers were not getting open he did make a terrible throw uh he forced it it was a five yard out and he just chucked it right into the dirt uh so that was really frustrating and you iowa twitter was about to lose their freaking minds on spencer petrus but he came through he had arguably his best statistical day of the season he made some of the best throws i've ever seen of him and People kind of like, oh, okay, we won the game. We're good now. But better believe if he starts off slow against Wisconsin, people are going to be coming for him. I, I, but he just, he's on that, that fence of he just hasn't shown us anything. And I think a lot of people have decided already that it's Alex Padilla time, which is our backup quarterback, um, came from Cherry Creek, Colorado. Uh, a good kid, athletic, a coach's kid. Yeah, Cherry Creek. We got, yeah, a, guy. We got a guy from Cherry Creek right I'm now, actually. Pretty sure exact same school. Class. Yeah. Al Ashford. Yeah. Yep. So a good kid, a uh, little shorter, not a typical Iowa quarterback. You look at Nate Stanley, look at Spencer Petrus, six foot four, six foot five, 240, 250 pounds. Alex Padilla, like six foot one, 210 pounds, like a little bit more of a scrambler type of quarterback. So if for whatever reason that does change, that would be a very interesting dynamic for Wisconsin because Alex Padilla can take off and he will take off if need be. Um, but Spencer Petrus, I don't know, man. I honestly don't know what to think. I truly believe that he has the talent a lot of the issues we're seeing is it looks like he's trying to to force the ball in there and not really not throw the ball but pinpoint where the ball is going right just looked like he's thinking too much when he's throwing the ball and needs to calm down but we're seven games in and at some point you got to say are you going to ever calm down and be able to just relax and play the game of football um he's done well in hurry up situations where it's almost like he doesn't have time to process what the hell he's doing and just plays football and that's good but I don't know, man. Uh, honestly, I truly think if spent if we had Nate Stanley, and I hate saying this, but if we had Nate Stanley, we're six and zero. I think we beat Purdue. I think we beat Northwestern without a, a Spencer Petrus and with a Nate Stanley. Well, yeah, because you're basically one drive away, one drive away from a decent quarterback from winning both of those games. Yeah, and the defense hasn't been the problem. We know that so far. Talk about this defense though. Over the last few weeks, and it didn't start out well yesterday, but finished as strong as you can possibly finish in that second half. What turned on in the second half yesterday for this defense and what's been working all season? Yeah, there's two things. Um, I will chalk up the second touchdown to Illinois to actually there's three plays that stand out to me that really changed the two drives. The first one was a swing pass. It wasn't a swing. It was a wheel route to the running back. We had our linebacker showing blitz. He read the running back covered him perfectly was literally step for step with him. Just didn't get his head around. And the running back made a fantastic catch. That was a 20 yard gain that set him up for the rest of that touchdown, that touchdown drive. The second drive I can't, I'm never going to be able to pronounce his name, but it's the USC transfer. Nacho Bebe? Yeah, no? I'm bad with names, man. Um, it might be that. I don't know. Number nine. Uh, yes, Josh and Nacho Bebe. Yeah. yeah, like I'm so bad with names and how to say them, but he made two ridiculous catches. Riley Moss had perfect coverage and he made two ridiculous catches to set up a third down and to get the touchdown. That one I'm not as worried about. So let's focus on that first touchdown. The big thing they did was extend drives. Um, and we knew this coming into the game. Brandon Peters had 70 something rushing yards against Iowa last or last year. He is athletic enough to get, you know, 
yards with his legs. And he did that in the first drive. Iowa settled down. Their defensive line did a better job of containing the, the, the cornerbacks were always going to be better than Iowa or than Illinois wide receivers. Honestly, I don't think it was as much of what changed. I do think there were some adjustments made, but they did a better job of containing Brandon Peters and stopping the running game. Cause they were getting some chunk plays there. And then obviously some of the ridiculous throws, I, I can't do anything about that. That's that's there was good defense. They just had a good offense too on the, those drives. But um, overall, I think it was more about just settling down. From what you've seen with Wisconsin so far this year, how does Iowa win this football game on Saturday? What do they need to do? What's the checklist? Yeah. Uh, to me, it's force Graham Mertz to turn over the ball. You want to, you want to, basically do exactly what you want to do against Iowa. You want to load the box, stop the run, expect your corners to be able to make plays. Uh, you talked about Danny Davis. I don't know if he's playing or not. Um, I have never been a huge fan of Wisconsin wide receivers outside of Quintez Cephas. I thought he was one of those guys that you just chuck the ball up and he's going to go get it, which is what Jack Cohn did last year against Oregon multiple times. Um, but I don't respect Wisconsin's receivers enough to say we need to worry about them. I would love to see a similar game plan to what we did against Minnesota. We load the box, we man up, and we force you to throw the ball. And then we're hopefully going to get you into passing situations where then we can drop back in our standard zone coverage on a third and long and then have our eyes towards you and force turnovers. So I think the biggest thing is force turnovers. I think the second biggest thing is we have to take advantage of the passing game. I know it sounds obvious, but Wisconsin is one of the best teams in the nation at stopping the run. They're also one of the best teams at stopping the pass as well. Something's got to give for Iowa. Um, the one thing I will say, one of the things I noticed, Wisconsin isn't that good at sacking the quarterback. Last year, you had Vaughn, um, and there was another guy on the other side. Sure. Had, yeah, I was like, you had two two uh, edge, edge outside linebackers who were fantastic at yep. rushing the quarterback. You don't have them this year, and it shows. Your sack percentage is 77th in the nation. Last year, you're like 10th. Uh, it went from 10% to 4%. Uh, so that's going to give Spencer Peters a little bit of time. I think we need to have better play at our right tackle position, which has been a huge, huge area of concern the last two games. Lots of pressures being allowed from the right tackle spot. But I think the passing game needs to get going. It needs to go going with the quick passing attack to allow us to open up the running game, which is – Definitely not how Iowa typically likes to see things happen. Yeah, but the way Jim Leonard sets up the defense, it's on the linebackers, really, to get to the quarterback and to get those sack numbers driven up. And the speed of Chris Orr and Zach Bond, especially of Chris Orr, his speed last year was as underrated as they come coming into the year. People weren't talking about Chris Orr as that dude in the Big Ten, but, man, he was a beast. fast, electric, and now he's on the Carolina Panthers. Uh, he's, he's trying to fight for – an NFL chance, but losing both those guys certainly has hurt this year. Jack Sanborn trying to fill in, Noah Burks trying to fill in, but you just don't have that same level of explosiveness to get in to the backfield and disrupt whatever any team is trying to do, especially with Jack Tuttle, a guy, right, that never had started a collegiate game, and they just couldn't put any pressure in his face. He was just sitting there, and he has a nice arm, and he was just sitting there, tossing it here, tossing it there, not really a care in the world in terms of about to get hit. Graham Mertz, on the other hand, obviously, Got lit up a couple times. That one turnover was a result of a corner blitz where Wisconsin, uh, Grimmer actually said after the game, he was expecting the running back. I don't remember which running back it was that it was that was in that game with that assignment, but he was expecting the running back to pick up that corner blitz. Nobody picked it up. If you watch the play, uh, he got absolutely lit up from the blind side. So, I mean, that, that's how you win and lose games right there. One team gets to the quarterback, one team doesn't. And that created the turnover that even you're talking about. So, Whoever gets to the quarterback, because we all know that Graham Mertz and Spencer Peters over the last couple of weeks have looked shaky for Peters. It's been longer than that, basically because I was actually played every game. So we have yep. more of a sample size with him. And whoever gets to the quarterback first probably wins.
this football game. But it is weird how much of mirror images we are right now, even in a year where we're both uh, not going to do anything special, right? Not not vying for a Big Ten West crown right now in the last week of the season. Still so many things about these teams are mirror images with, I will say, Wisconsin over the last 10 years just being a, a better mirror, kind of a fancier yeah. mirror, if you will. I mean, that, that's that's fair. I, I would love to be able to have a comeback to that, but there, that wasn't even a diss. That's just the fact. That's just reality. Um, when I look at some of the statistics of this game, though, and coming into this game, I have a feeling this very much could be a 2015 game where it's like nine to six, six to three, something just absolutely disgusting because I do trust these defenses a lot more than I trust these offenses. The only thing that stands out to me that honestly gives Iowa that advantage is the ability to get to the quarterback. Iowa's defensive line has done a tremendous job, surprisingly losing three of their starting defensive linemen, including A.J. Pineza, a second-round pick, and they've actually gotten better at sacking the quarterback more consistently this year. Wisconsin's offensive line hasn't been as strong. I don't know if that's a Wisconsin offensive line thing or if that's a Graham Mertz holding onto the ball being a younger quarterback thing. Either way, there's a little bit more opportunity there, and I do think it's going to come down to one or two big plays probably made defensively or on the special team side. I just I don't know how you move the ball on this defense. I don't know how you move the ball that well against Iowa's defense. This could very much just be a a very, very Big Ten in the trenches kind of game, which is what we've come to know from Iowa and Wisconsin. Yeah, a, a team winning this game without getting in the end zone could be a thing that happens. Yeah. Not even getting it. That could be, that could be a thing that happens. I could see like 9-7, the team with 9 never gets in the end zone. That'd be, that'd be kind of electric. But it, it could happen. <laughs> Yeah. I definitely, I definitely don't see electricity uh, in this football game. If you're going to see anything electric, I think it will be from the running game. I think we might see, and this is where Wisconsin has the advantage. And I, I do think that I know Iowa's run defense is good. Wisconsin's run defense isn't good. It's the best in the nation. It's one of the only things that Wisconsin has truly been elite level at all year long, even in the losses, in the wins. Literally, Mike Bajakian uh, against Northwestern, the new offensive coordinator. For the Cats, Mike Bajakin, he abandoned the run. He basically just threw the white flag and said, we're going to have nobody in the backfield and we're going to just tell you we're passing for the entire second half of that game because we realized we can't run on you guys. And it was a it was a pretty similar story against Indiana. Stevie Scott had a couple, couple nice runs here and there. It wasn't as much of the dominant uh, effect of we're abandoning the run entirely that Wisconsin had on Northwestern the week before or two weeks before. But I do think that's where Wisconsin has the advantage. So if the Badgers outrun the Hawkeyes, which I think will happen in this game. And it says more about the Wisconsin defense than the Wisconsin running game. They have a chance. They have a a chance to come away with a win, a big win. And I know it's not going to be a win that changes the course of this year for either team uh, and really has fans feeling totally differently going into the off season, especially in a year as weird as 2020 in a year where we wouldn't even qualify. Well, they're going to change the rules, but we probably wouldn't even qualify for the Big Ten ship, even if we were. And they ain't changing them for you guys. <laughs> Absolutely not. They're changing it for the money. We all know how it works. Yep. It for the boys in Columbus, Ohio. But this is a this is still a, a big game of sorts in terms of going into an offseason, feeling better about yourself, and building for two programs that I think believe, I'm not sure how true it is for both, but absolutely believe that the best years in recent history are coming in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, I was loaded with talent. If Spencer Peters can turn the corner, there's still a lot of talent on this Iowa football team that I think gives us some hope for next year. I think from an Iowa perspective, it's frustrating because you look at this team, and as you said, they could easily be 7-0 and right now. Easily. Easily. And, and they could be, be. Actually, I think watching those two games should be 7-0. and 
Yeah. Or hell, you know, at this point, I would take six and one because six and one means we get a chance against Ohio State. I don't think we match up well against Ohio State. I don't think a lot of teams do, but I do think we can keep that game close to simply playing Iowa football. And even that gives you an opportunity to play in an even bigger bowl game. I think it's frustrating to me to see how Northwestern has played the last week or in the last couple weeks, and then see that they're going to play in the Big Ten championship game. I hope that when they make these changes, hope honestly, like part of me wants them to make a change, say Ohio State gets in at 5-0. and I hope they don't play next week's game. And the change they make goes off a winning percentage. Because then Iowa's in the Big Ten championship game, and that would be a much better game than Ohio State versus Iowa. I have never heard that happen yet, but I think that would be a really cool uh, – oh, my God, can you imagine Northwestern fans, the five of them? Chance. So you're saying there's a chance. How crazy would that be? I mean, how do you say, oh, Ohio State only plays five games. We're going to let you get in because you didn't make that six-game minimum. What, on that's, what, a on fair, what that's a fair question. I don't know what they would – because they obviously can't, even though we all know it is, because of our, our favorite word in college football in 2020, uh, Wade Wednesday, optics. <laughs> optics. Uh, every, everyone's favorite term. Because of the optics, we can't come out and say, well, we're just going to let Ohio State in because, well, they're Ohio State. We need him in the college football playoff. That is what it is. So it's a good point because I don't know how they would justify beyond because you can't just I don't think you can just eh, I guess they could just say, well, we're changing the minimum to five. But like I, I you're right. And like honestly, the Big Ten would do that and not say anything about it because that's what Kevin Warren does. He doesn't actually give any I I, I hate the Big Ten and Kevin Warren, but they, they would very much make a decision on that and just say we're good and then not explain any of it. But I mean, it is a real point. Like, what if that happened? That'd be pretty crazy. Uh, I, I just I think mean, Illinois would all, all 10 fans that go to Ryan Field uh, <laughs> week in, week out would just be up in arms. They lose their minds. That would be quite fun. But either way, this game will be a lot of fun. Iowa versus Wisconsin. Real quick before we get into five minutes of basketball talk, because we do need to, to cap ourselves because we don't agree at all on the basketball front. What is your prediction for the game? I think that it's last week. By the way, last week on the show, I said that Wisconsin, Indiana would be a completely defies all logic, high scoring game. And obviously it <laughs> just went logically, uh, but yeah, so there's that. So I'm obviously going to go with the logic and say that this is a low scoring game because every single sign points to that. And I'm going to say that Wisconsin does enough to stop Iowa's run game and a late kick from Colin Larsh for his first big moment as a Badger gets Wisconsin over the hump because this game's going to end on a kick. And uh, that actually probably should make Iowa fans feel pretty I like, happy. I was like, that favors Iowa guys, for sure. <laughs> based on who you guys have taken the football in uh, Mr. Duncan. But I'm going to go Wisconsin in a in a football score kind of game. Let's go 17-13. Er, er, 17-14 Badgers, just a low-scoring low game that comes down to the wire. And I think whoever has the football last might actually lose the game. You, are, yeah. you always hear whoever has, whoever has the last is going to win, whoever has the last is going to lose. Yeah, um, I'm going to stick in the similar line. I think Iowa does win the game simply because I value Iowa's special teams. They made some really big plays in the special team side. And the defensive line does a fantastic job of impacting games. Like in Nebraska – probably could have won that game but thankfully Chauncey Golson does a crazy swim move strip fumble or strip sacks the quarterback and we get the ball and the game's over the defensive line has done that consistently I think it's one or two plays like that I think the run game is going to be better from the Wisconsin standpoint I think Iowa's defense can make a big play just one big play literally is all we need one big play I think Charlie Jones and Torrey Taylor and Keith Duncan gives Iowa the advantage to special teams when it comes down to a game that's going to be probably under 30 points total scoring special teams becomes a bigger deal I think Iowa wins by two or three. 
I'm going to honestly say 12-10, Iowa, four field goals. And Wisconsin. <laughs> that is electric. Uh, I would also add, by the way, that I think Wisconsin, to win this game, has to score a defensive touchdown. Yeah. I'm going to just completely eliminate special teams because our our special teams is not what Iowa's special teams is right now, not even close, especially when you're talking punt returners, kick returners. Losing Aaron Crookshank over the offseason to Rutgers was a huge loss for this special teams group. So I'm going to say that to win this game, Wisconsin has to score a defensive touchdown or at least get into the red zone off of a defensive turnover. Yeah, so we basically agree. This is going to be a pretty ugly game. Uh, should be pretty frustrating. Should be very 2015-esque. But let's get into basketball talk because Iowa-Wisconsin have two of the best teams in the nation, uh, according to the polls. Now, I think we ha- would have some disagreements on that. People are pretty high in Wisconsin. Um, winning the Big Ten last year, returning all of their all of their you know starting five. Uh, Iowa returns All-American and you know player of the year candidate Luca Garza, plus you know three-point leader Jordan Bohannon. They have a couple other guys who are injured to come back this year. Joe Wieskamp is a guy who could play in the NBA. There's a lot of talent on both these teams. What I think is interesting is these teams, while the football teams mirror image each other, the basketball teams are the exact freaking opposite. Wisconsin, strong defense, long length of possessions. Iowa, run and gun, scoring at will, terrible on defense. And I terrible is a loose term, but terrible for a major program and a good program at defense should be a really interesting game to see how these two actually match up in the future. Um, what do you not like about Iowa? I know you lot, you've watched a lot of college basketball. I want to get your thoughts. So what do you not like about Iowa? I know you've been pretty low on them since the start. Well, I just think that they're the kind of team that can't win six games in a row. And unfortunately that's all that matters. That's all that matters in college basketball. You just have to get hot and you can, you can be hot for two or three games in a row if you're completely reliant on offensive firepower and on shooting. But if your defense isn't at least really, really good, and by really good, I mean top 30, top 40, you're not winning the NCAA tournament. You're just not. And it also sets you up for some serious upset potential because the way, the way these early, early round upsets happen – Virginia is kind of the exception, actually. Usually it's a team gets really hot from three. You can't stop them on that end, and they stay in the game offensively. They don't stay in the game defensively. That, like, I'm talking about that UMBC-Virginia game. Yep. That's the outlier. Usually the, the weird, crazy upsets early in the tournament happen when a team just gets so hot on the offensive end and that, that powerhouse can't stop them on their defensive end of the floor. And that's where I see Iowa potentially faltering in a game like that. Will Wisconsin keep games closer? than Iowa will at some points in the Big Ten season? Absolutely. Yep. Will Iowa probably get into the tournament and blow out their first two opponents and do it really convincingly? Probably. But will that will that matter when you get to the Sweet 16 and a team is all of a sudden hot offensively and you can't stop them for about 15 minutes of the game? And that 15-minute period, they, they go off and you're all of a sudden down eight and you're relying fully on offense to get you back into a game and you can't get stops? I just, I just don't see Iowa basketball – being built to win six games in a row. Yeah. I mean, I honestly wasn't expecting you to give that answer, but I a hundred percent agree. I don't know what answer I actually was expecting you to give. I thought you were going to just talk purely about just the talent of our team. I thought that was basically, oh, it's, it's, it's an extremely talented basketball yeah. team, I but defensively I agree. Yeah. I think, you know, you know what I want Iowa fans to be watching for a game. And this is not a fair barometer of how good Iowa is because this would not be a fair barometer of how good any team in college basketball is, but you guys play Gonzaga on December 19th. Now, Gonzaga is not a fair example. Why? Because they're the most efficient offense I've seen in college basketball in years. 
This is the best Gonzaga. This is the best college basketball team. It's the best Gonzaga team ever, but it's the best college basketball team I've watched since Kentucky 2012. In fact, I think they're better than Kentucky 2012. I think it's the best college basketball team in my lifetime. I'm, I'm not just saying that. Yeah. I completely believe that. They're going to put up 100 on you guys. Yeah. On December 19th. I'm just, they're they're going to drop a century mark on you guys. And there are teams like West Virginia that can keep Gonzaga in a game. We saw it literally happen a few days ago on Wednesday. West Virginia kept that game close. Gonzaga still scored in the high 80s, right? And still ended up winning that game relatively comfortably at the end. But West Virginia won the first half. Why? They grinded. Uh, they are a very, very well-coached defensive team. They're not the press Virginia of old. They actually play a little faster than most Bob Huggins teams have played. But they're big. They're physical. Their front line is really, really good defensively. Not necessarily great offensively. But Derek Culver, uh, Shibway, these guys are just great defensively. And that's why they kept Gonzaga in the game. I was not going to be able to stay with that team. Unless those are like absurdly hot from three. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's – so to me, when I look at Iowa and Wisconsin, Iowa is a boomer bust team, right? Because defensively, we're not a good team. And you saw that if you watched any of their three games against Cupcakes, there were stretches where those Cupcakes went on runs against Iowa. That is not acceptable. I, I don't care who you are. That is not acceptable to allow Southern Illinois – or Southern – no, Western Illinois, excuse me. We played Southern as well. Western Illinois went on a 15-4 to run in the second half. Western Illinois – returned one player out of their top nine that went five and 23 last year. There is no excuse for allowing them to go on a 15 to four run. You need to be able to lock down defensively. Iowa has those gaps where they just don't lock down and it's frustrating to watch, but offensively they have eight people that can shoot from three from over 35%, including both of their six foot 10 and over guys. So, I mean, there's, there's that ability to go get hot there. Wisconsin, I think, is more consistent. They're not boom or bust, but they're consistent. And the reason why is because they play defense. They play strong defense. But offensively, they're not even in the realm of where Iowa is offensively. So that is always a concern. But defense is always going to allow you to stay in games. If you can just play solid defense, you can stick in games, even if your offense isn't doing well. You can stick in games on road games. So I think, to me, it's going to be an interesting battle of boom versus bust, boom or bust versus the consistency that we see with Wisconsin. Wisconsin's nowhere near there yet. They're not even close to there. And when I say there, a team that can be an Elite Eight, Final Four type of team, they're not even close. Uh, the stretches of offense in the half court against Marquette in the first and second half of that game, abysmal. And it was actually the only way Marquette had offense. It was Marquette had early offense because Wisconsin's half court, though, was a complete disaster. They got into foul trouble quickly. Brad Davison, complete non-factor. I hate him, by the way. Micah Potter uh, was riding the bench quite a bit in that second half when he, he, he had just struggled in the interior. The only guy that really had anything going offensively besides Dimitri Trice, who will, I think, have more, more than not good offensive games for this team, was Johnny Davis, who's a true freshman coming off the bench, who I love. If you ever see my Twitter, I absolutely think okay. he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> You're but, a Johnny Davis fan. Oh, my God. He's an NBA <laughs> player, but that's a different story. Point is, Wisconsin is behind the eight ball offensively. And when you're talking about a basketball team, I, I buy into the fact that you can be a totally different offensive team in November and in March. I'm not, I've never really seen a college basketball team just suddenly be a completely different defensive unit in November compared to March. Yeah, and it's a historical thing for Fran, too. I mean, he's only had one or two years since he took over this program where Iowa was stout defensively, and that was the Jared Utoff years where you had multiple guys who were 
basically six six to six eight who could guard multiple positions and lock down defensively and get into passing lanes. So yeah, it's definitely a concern for me as well. Uh, Asher, always a pleasure talking about Iowa and Wisconsin, two of the storied programs in the Big Ten, two programs, again, that mirror each other. It's going to be a lot of fun watching this game on Saturday. And by fun, I mean absolutely terrible. Um, any last thing you want to say before we uh, we close out the show, man? No, just uh, if you haven't seen Johnny Davis play, go watch him. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa fans aren't watching Johnny Davis. <laughs> I know. I, I, I love Luka Garza. He's a beast. But, yeah, this, this basketball game uh, – sorry, this football game is going to be a lot uglier than the basketball games are going to be. I can't wait for our basketball games. 100%, man. All right, y'all, and that concludes our Thursday morning episode. I hope you enjoyed the crossover episode, our last regular season crossover episode. And I know there's a lot of stuff going on in Big Ten football. Ohio State is now in the Big Ten championship game. They made an exception to that. We'll talk about that as well on tomorrow's show, but really just wanted to focus on Iowa-Wisconsin today. I appreciate you all tuning in. Hope you have a fantastic Thursday, and let's go Hawks.